you know, me um, being arrested and being held and confined uh, without, uh, you know, the opportunity to bail myself out. Thank you so much for tuning in to the ACLU of Ohio's inaugural episode of our new limited series podcast, The Steep Road to Freedom. Episode one is all about defining the scope of bail and bail reform. Now, let me introduce you to my good friend and co-host, Malekta. Hi, my name is Malekta. I go by she, her pronouns, and I'm the campaign's manager. And I'm Selena, the communications manager, and I use she, her pronouns. We're friends, change makers, and believers in a better world. We also work at the ACLU of Ohio, a nonprofit advocacy organization serving a mission to protect and expand your civil liberties. Your civil liberties like the right to free speech, the right to assemble, freedom of religion. We try to confront the problems that shape and institutionalize injustice, like being locked away in jail simply because you can't afford to pay your bail. But wait, we'll get to that. Our Ohio affiliate is part of a larger national ACLU movement called the Campaign for Smart Justice. Our goal is to decarcerate our prison and jails by 50% while dramatically reducing racial disparities within the criminal legal system. And let's pause there for a second. We're calling it the criminal legal system because as it currently operates, there isn't a whole lot of justice. Our goal for this podcast is to make bail reform accessible to the public and activate our listeners into joining our cause. Nearly six out of every 10 people in Ohio jails are there because they can't afford to pay their bail. If we do this right, Bail reform could be the catalyst for dismantling the foundations of mass incarceration. Think large-scale systemic wins. Think community liberation, innocent people out of cages, justice in action. All right, Malekta, let's get into episode one. Let's do it. In this episode, we're going to untangle the crisis of pretrial detention and explain bail reform. Bail reform has become this social justice buzz phrase and is a very hot topic in Ohio right now. We wanted to open up the discussion to you because we believe locking someone in jail simply because they can't afford to pay is a violation of their civil rights. We envision a world where money no longer determines freedom from incarceration. Families remain together, not torn apart or indebted simply due to an arrest. Our reliance on this system has allowed for wealth-based detention, and cash bail violates principles of fairness and due process. So, Malekta, what is bail? So the word bail is often misused, but it refers to the process of releasing someone from jail pre-trial. It should mean that the person gets to leave jail. That's why the phrase, don't bail on me, means don't leave on me. But people often misuse the word bail and use it not to describe money as the conditions of release. Okay, so let's back up a bit. Can you kind of walk us through how someone would even get into a situation where they would need bail? In reality, the issue of bail actually starts at arrest. There's an interaction with a police officer, maybe there's an escalation, a domestic dispute, an officer is called, and an arrest is made. Basically, you get booked, taken to jail, and maybe that day or a few days later, you go in front of a judge or a magistrate for your first appearance. And what happens when you do go before this judge or the magistrate? So the judge reads you the allegations and typically gives you a cash bail to ensure reappearance or monetary bail based on a bond schedule. This is a list that prescribes an amount of money for an alleged charge. This amount goes up based on severity. 
But remember, you have not been convicted of a crime. You are still innocent at this stage. Let's repeat that for our listeners. This is hugely important. So when you're being held pre-trial, you have not been convicted and you're still innocent at this stage. So even though Ohio has a statute that would allow judges to hold people if they're deemed too dangerous or pose real risk to the community, most judges impose a cash bail instead. So it sounds like what ends up happening is that most people can't afford cash bail and stay in jail during the entire pre-trial period. Exactly. So I wanted to hear from someone who's experienced this firsthand. I'd like to share a conversation I had with Daniel Cruz, a Californian transplant who found himself stuck in Ohio's jails simply because he couldn't pay. Let's take a listen. Yeah, I'm Danny and, you know, you know, being a, a single man with uh, very little support, you know, on my own in a, in a city where, you know, I'm not from and uh, was not familiar with, it just um, created a predicament in which I was, you know, struggling, maintaining employment and, you know, stable permanent housing. And uh, these factors kind of uh, contributed to, you know, me being arrested and being held and confined uh, without the opportunity to bail myself out. And, you know, it's hard because the system doesn't really even allow you to bail yourself out. you got to have some sort of co-signer. And in order to get the co-signer, you have to have someone to come sign, you know, at their uh, office in order to come, you know, post a bond in your name and you know because of the lack of people the support I have up here it was very hard for me to get all of that accomplished and so I was stuck I was stuck you know in the in the county jail until I could you know find an attorney that would you know supposedly work for me but he was more pressuring me to plea out to a, a, a lower felony a felony nonetheless of the fifth degree and in order for me to get out on a personal bond. So as you can see, that's just basically um, something that's perpetuated, as you mentioned, in this system. It's something that is not fair to those, you know, that are really wanting to get out and get an opportunity. And it, it perpetuates a lower class status where we can now say, you know, you can discriminate not because of your color or race necessarily, but because of your criminal conviction. You are now labeled a felon, and that's what creates a, another underclass, you know, in society. And uh, because of this, I basically have had a hard time locating housing, uh, being leased housing in my name because, um, you know, I, I can be discriminated because I have a felony. Um, but I wanted to take a step back. So you got arrested, and then you got brought to the Justice Center and booked. And can you talk to me uh, through that, about that experience and, and what happened? I sure can. As uh, reluctant as I am to talk about the experience, it was not the best. Uh, you know, it was damn near hell. People were confined in their cells most of the days, you know, I mean, it didn't really matter to me because outside your cell there's nothing but a tiny TV with the same four or five channels, you know, that, that are, you know, hard to hear because people were making all kinds of noise and, you know, just the, the sound, the sound within that facility is just very distorted. 
So, you know, you're kind of like echoey noises and it's hard to hear, you know, the activity when you're trying to watch it. There's no seats in there. It was a tiny screen. You know, the meals there were you're very meager. And, you know, I heard there was vermin and expired food. You know, rats were crawling around throughout the kitchen and, and, and the jail. And, you know, it was just kind of very unsanitary place, you know, they give you maybe one bar of soap every couple of weeks and, you know, it was really hard to make it last unless you went to the store, you know, and had money on your books, then you were somewhat all right. Other than that, it was very like for the privilege because everything there was marked up a lot. Thank you so much for sharing. I know this could be potentially triggering, and I appreciate right, right, right. your bravery, and I appreciate the power that you have yeah. in your story no, and your voice. I appreciate you hearing me out. You know. And so I want to take it a step back a little bit before. So you go in front of a judge, and the accusation was for, you said, a felony four, four. or a felony five? Felony four originally. And what was your uh, bond? What was the bond that was suggested? The bond was suggested at, I want to say... 4500 originally and then it got lower to 2500 10% cash surety property and I uh, was still stuck because you know my family could have probably had the funds but because they're in another state it's just very hard to do any sort of transactions of that nature. You know the bonds people wanted them to come in person or have somebody do some sort of power of attorney or, you know, a bondsman from that state. It was a complicated process where, you know, it should be a little more simple, you know, because I grew up in California and in California, I think anybody can come and post a bond for you. And, you know, they just come to the, the jail, post a bond and you're on your way. Here, there's different classes of felonies and, you know, what I was charged for, being a felony here would have probably even just been a misdemeanor in California. So Ohio seems to have a more stringent and, you know, very constricted justice system with the laws, the enforcement, and the whole uh, cash bail process. So there, there, I see a couple differences, but, you know, it's still nonetheless a nationwide issue because, you know, there's people on the lower end of the spectrum, you know, all throughout the country is privileged and non-privileged. Did the judge have any information about, like, employment or any information about you that you're not a flight risk, that you're not somebody who would have bolted, that you would have made your court appearance? Because that's the purpose of bail, just to ensure appearance. So did the judge have any information to show that you weren't, in fact, any type of flight risk? I honestly never saw my judge until sentencing, believe it or not. At first was dealing with some other judges that dealt with uh, bond hearings and one of them was able to lower my bond to 2,500. I pled out in front of a different judge, you know, down the hall, which is not even my judge, and then got sentenced by my judge originally. So that was the only time I saw the judge, see? It's hard. Did you feel pressure to plead out because you wanted to get out of the jail? Absolutely. The conditions in the jail were just inhumane, as, you know, we've come to find out with, you know, the treatment of the, the inmates and, you know, these coalitions that do work for the community. So I uh, definitely, you know, was pressured just to get out of there. And every day just seemed like forever. And, you know, I wish they were to give credit here in Ohio for 
two days served at least for every day in the county jail. Because in California, because the jails are so crowded, they give two days credit for every day served in the county, which is a little bit better because when you uh, try to calculate time served, instead of me being there for like a month and a half, it would have been like three months credit. So that would have gone toward my sentence, you know. But like I said, the Ohio uh, justice system, legal system is a little bit still, uh, what do you call it, I guess, behind. And so, you know, I just decided to be out. So how long were you held pre-trial? Oh, man, I would say a month and a half, almost two months. And this was for an F4 or an F5? It was for the F4. When I pled out, it was an F5. However, uh, there's a little twist because in that time frame when I was there for a month and a half, I had a court appearance in Parma for a misdemeanor and I couldn't show up because I was incarcerated and so I didn't know what to do so I just waited till I got out and then uh, I couldn't get out because I had that warrant in Parma which was through Brooklyn a local municipality uh, that Parma Municipal Court serves and so I was there for almost a week before I could see a judge in Parma and a judge in Parma because I didn't show up and I was in Oranges and stayed in Oranges. He gave me an additional week and a half about in, uh, in the county jail. So I went right back after I did a little bit of time in Brooklyn. I went right back. So in total, it was right around over 60 days. And had I been able to get out from the county jail, on a personal bond or, you know, without a stringent cash bond, I would have been able to make an appearance in Parma for that misdemeanor. And it, you know, would have been a lot more doable versus, you know, being in your county, you're stuck, you know, your housing is in jeopardy, your job's in jeopardy. And so I got out, you know, my job was gone, my housing was gone, and, you know, it created a, a, a state of homelessness. It's a domino effect. You know. How did you sort of find your footing after that traumatic experience? I'm still finding my footing, to be honest with you. I just, you know, was out for 10 days. As my story um, I wrote for the ACLU online says, I was out for 10 days. And then I was sentenced by the judge that December 20th, which was, you know, the first time I seen a judge. It, it's been tough. But, you know, I've been, you know, staying strong, you know, just working and honestly just trying to get back involved in the more activism, things like this, because I've been, you know, gone away from the scene for a while. But I used to, you know, be involved with different coalitions, groups around the community. I shouldn't give up hope. You know, I know there's people uh, such as, you know, the ACLU that work for, you know, people like us. And, you know, we got to work for us. And so I appreciate, you know being able to speak on this and, you know, people hearing my story out and just know that, you know, you're not alone. You know, we're, we're all in this together. And so hopefully I can, you know, get back on the right track and, you know, just leave this behind me because it was very, uh, what would you say, like mentally draining experience. Thank you so much for sharing and there's so many opportunities for you to get plugged into the campaign again i i'm so grateful to hear your story i'm so grateful to be empowered by your words and your experiences are eye-opening and people in ohio 
don't understand. They haven't seen or heard or been exposed to stories like yours. Thank you again for your bravery. Yeah, thank you for your time. Well, actually, that was such a powerful conversation, and I want to thank Daniel as well for sharing his story with us. So, you know, you guys used a few terms in the interview that I think we should define. Can we start with pretrial? Yeah. Pretrial is the time frame after you're arrested, but before a judge determines if you are guilty or innocent. Often, depending on the crime for which you are charged, you should be able to wait for the next steps of your case from the comfort of your own home. So we also mentioned jail a number of times. And can you explain the difference between jail and prisons for our listeners? So jails are locally operated by a city, local district, or a county. They're short-term holding facilities for the newly arrested or for those awaiting trial or for those serving shorter sentences. And nationally, this pre-trial population, again, people who have not been formally convicted of a crime, account for 95% of all jail growth from 2000 to 2014. In Ohio, our jails are at 111% capacity. Melecta, I know we see thousands of people across Ohio posting bond using a bail bondsman. What exactly does a bondsman do and how do they interact with the system? Basically, you pay a bail bondsman a non-refundable fee, usually 10% of the bail in exchange for a bondsman's promise to pay the full amount to the court if you don't show up for your hearing. And let's define just one more term. Can you please explain commercial bail? Yeah. Commercial bail tends to be the predominant form of pretrial release. These are bonds underwritten by insurance companies. If someone agrees to release via bail bondsmen, they find themselves agreeing to exploitive contract terms that can include intrusive surveillance, inflated interest rates, and again, this non-refundable fee regardless of the outcomes of the case. So keep in mind, this is a $14 billion business with ties to global surety groups like Tokyo Marine in Japan. And let's remember that people who cannot post bond or pay a bondsman are stuck in jail for the duration of their pretrial period. Again, these are people who are legally innocent, yet indefinitely detained. Thank you again for listening to episode one of the ACLU of Ohio's limited series podcast, A Steep Road to Freedom. We're going to take a quick sponsorship break. This week's episode is sponsored by the Pretrial Justice Institute. PJI has leveraged more than 40 years of experience to create a practical and proven approach to advancing safe, fair, and effective pretrial reform that honors and protects all people. Visit their website at pretrial.org. All right, back to the episode. So bringing this back, why does this all matter? What's the real cost? Why focus so much effort on reforming Ohio's unjust pretrial system? Because pretrial detention increases the likelihood of a conviction. For those who are convicted, they experience harsher sentences. People held pretrial are two to three times more likely to receive a jail or prison sentence. And those sentences are harsher, usually three to four times longer. When you're held in jail, you're not readily able to access your lawyer, provide evidence for discovery, or fully participate in the investigation. And for these compounded reasons, pretrial detention has literally perpetuated a two-tiered system of justice. And if there's one thing to take away from this episode, it's this. Cash bail is fueling the crisis of mass incarceration. It's contributing to the overcrowding and conditional crisis at our local jails, and it's criminalizing poverty. Nationally, about half a million people languish in jail because they can't afford their bail right now. Our reliance on the system has allowed for wealth-based detention. Cash bail violates principles of fairness and due process. Thank you all again so much for subscribing and tuning into this podcast. Stay with us as we demystify bail, bail reform, and the crisis of mass incarceration. 
Next week's episode, we're going to be defining the players in the system. Like prosecutors. And judges. Lawmakers. And activists. And you. Tune in to episode two. You won't want to miss the answer to this question. Why are conservatives so interested in bail reform? This podcast is a project of the ACLU of Ohio. Don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe. Again, we're your co-hosts, Malik Tamalaku and Selena Cumming. And this podcast would not be made possible without our village of amazing colleagues, Claire Chevrier, James Kazmatka, and Jeff Miller. Music and editing by Dan Rogan. Mix and mastering by Sean Rule Hoffman. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can catch us on Twitter at ACLU Ohio and on Facebook and Instagram at ACLUOH. Check out our bill website at ohbillreform.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>